Well, thank you guys for being here again. I am excited to get to talk to you today about something that is near and dear to my heart. Let me start by asking you a question. Are you hopeful? Are you hopeful? No, no, don't, don't just answer yet, okay? Because I know some of you are like, right away, you're going to just throw out an answer. But, but let me define this, okay? Hope is the feeling that something good could happen. It's that feeling that you have that something good could happen. Now, the reason why I wanted to kind of cut you off is, is this. Are you really hopeful? Do you really feel like something good could happen? Or are you maybe one of the people, and sometimes I can even be like this, where you kind of feel hopeless. Sometimes you feel like, I kind of think something bad could happen, right? That's, I'm, I more so think that way, not like, yeah, something's good, it's going to happen. I'm like, something bad could happen tomorrow, right? I think that in general, in our community, locally, in our culture, nationally, in our world, globally, I think that the feeling of hope is lacking. I don't think there's enough of it. That feeling that something good can happen, that something, something good could take place, I think it's at a deficit in our current culture, in our current society, right here locally and, and even nationally. But why does it matter? The reason why I think it, it's so important that people have hope is because when we don't have hope, we close off. You see, when we have hope, it's that feeling something good could happen. So we, we walk through our days, we walk through our life open to what might come our way, right? Somebody, something, an experience might come our way because we believe something good could happen. So we keep ourselves open and available. But when we lose hope and we don't believe something good could happen, what we do is we, we shut down. We put our hard exterior up and we just brace for the worst. Nothing good's coming my way. Life's been hard. It's not going to get better. And we just close ourselves off from anything else ever taking place. People being able to speak in or a situation being able to come in to our life. Now, the reason why this is so critical is because I believe that God wants to reach into people's lives. I believe he wants to intersect with their lives and show them great things. But if people are closed off and they're hard, they might miss that opportunity. I believe that churches should be the epicenters of hope in their community. I believe that in communities all across the United States, all across the globe, churches should be this, this lighthouse, this beacon of hope inside of a community. That although a whole bunch of other people in the community, a whole bunch of other types of people, or a whole bunch of different communities might be very, very hopeless, very down, that the churches should be this epicenter of, of hope just exuding from it. That it should be so full in our, in our, in our services, so full in us as people, that it just it, it leaks out our front doors, rolls out onto the streets. And people say, those, those Christians, they just... They're so hopeful. There's always such a, a, a thought that something great could come along. There's always so much excitement for what could happen next. For us as a church, we believe that we should be an epicenter of hope for our community. And that's why we are so passionate about this thing called Hope Week. Now, if you weren't here last week, you might be like, what in the world is Hope Week? I don't have any, any clue. For you guys who were here last year, or maybe you came right afterwards, you might have heard about it. But what Hope Week is, is seven days of area churches working together to radically serve our community. Seven days back to back, coming up in, in just a month, and that's why I wanted to get this on your radar. 
working together to radically serve our community through projects where we make things better, we fix things, we take care of things, we update things. And it's an opportunity for us to show our community that something good could happen. Something good could happen, and in fact, we're going to be the ones who bring this about. So last year, what did it look like? Because you might be like, what was this? Last year was amazing. Our very first year of doing Hope Week, we had four churches that participated in it with us. We had over 150 volunteers. We put over $5,000 directly back into the community. And we had over 926 service hours in one week. 926 hours of community service in one week. That's amazing. Like, that's astounding to think about all that happening in seven days' time. It was awesome. We took and we painted classrooms in a local school. We cleaned up neighborhoods and picked up trash. We pulled weeds and painted curbs. We cleaned up a library. We refurbished three parks, including putting in some new uh, equipment. And we actually went to the school and installed a brand new set of equipment that they had. That They had nobody to be able to install it. All for free. All just us serving our community. It was interesting enough and undeniable enough that it was the front page news the very next day. Pictures of all of these crazy people in bright blue shirts serving their community. And that's why it's so exciting. The reason why we do it like we do, of doing it all within seven days and inviting a bunch of churches to do it all at the same time, is because it becomes unignorable to our community. The community can't help but see it. They can't help but notice it because from one week to the next, things look significantly different. This is why we're so passionate about Hope Week as a church. We're the church that really tries to put the the driving force behind this. It's all about about area churches all coming together. But if you wonder, yeah, Acts is the one that lets me take off hours and hours or weeks of my time, my responsibilities here, to be able to lead up Hope Week because we believe in it so much. Well, why? Why? Why is Hope Week that important? Why do we believe in it so much? And it's for two big reasons. There are two things that Hope Week connects week that we think are so, so important to the church. And we're part of the the church. When I say the church, I mean all of Christianity across the United States, across the globe. And we're part of that church. So the reason why we're so passionate about Hope Week is because we think that it perfectly aligns with two big things that God wants for the church. First and foremost, it's all about serving. It's all about serving. And Jesus was all about serving. If you read Jesus' life, if you read the stories of him, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of these eyewitness accounts and these testimonies of people seeing what he had done, Jesus was all about serving people, about using his energy to meet their needs. In fact, he actually talked about this one time. In Mark 10, he's talking to his disciples, and he kind of explains what his life is all about here. He says, so Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man, and that name there, Son of Man, that's a nickname that Jesus always called himself. Whenever you see Son of Man, that's Jesus talking about himself. That was actually a prophecy in the book of Daniel about the coming Messiah. And that was the analogy they used. as They said he'll be born of a man, but he's really a God. And it was the idea of who the Messiah was. So every time he said Son of Man, he was saying, I'm the guy. I'm the God in man flesh. I am the Messiah. 
He says, for even the Son of Man himself came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is an amazing, amazing little section of Scripture where he's talking to the disciples. He says, if you've been around this world long enough, you know how the story goes, right? The more powerful you get, the more important you get the higher you rise on this, on this pyramid, right? And there's a whole bunch more people underneath you that, that serve you. The more important you get, your time is too important. You know, you, you, you're a really, really powerful person. You hire more people. You have more people who are trying to get you know, your attention so they're going to work for you or come to your aid. But he said, in my economy, it's the exact opposite. He says, the greatest leaders in my economy realize that actually that pyramid is upside down. And as a great leader, you realize that that you're not here for a bunch of people to serve you. As a great leader, you're here to serve a bunch of people. You're here to lead a bunch of people towards what it is that they're supposed to be accomplishing. And he says, actually, I mean, even in fact, me, Jesus talking about himself. He says, me, the son of man, right? The, the, The Messiah himself the one person who could come to this planet and say, it's all about me, and we would have said, yes, it is. It's all about you. He said, it's not all about me when I get here. He says, I didn't come so that everyone could just serve me, which would be perfectly right for him to ask. He says, I came here to serve those who needed to be served. Jesus was was all about serving. He was passionate about it. We see this in his life as he walked through his day-to-day and his ministry. And he only did ministry on this earth for three years, which is amazing to think that we are still talking about him over 2,000 years later, right? Amazing. Only three years that he spent actually doing ministry. But as he walked and he talked, he met people's needs and he served them right where they were at. There's this great story in, in, the, in the Bible where in the, in the testimony of John, who walked right with Jesus, he tells this story of a time where Jesus ran into this guy who was blind. And the guy asked, basically, if if there's any way that he could heal him. Because as much as being blind might seem like a um, a deficit here in our present time, back in this time, I mean, it was an absolute terrible sentence. There was nobody helping you. There was no seeing high dogs. There was no assistance, no braille, no nothing. You You were an outcast. And listen what this story says in John 9, 6 through 12. It says, Then he, speaking of Jesus... spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Say yuck, right? Yuck. That's gross, isn't it? Sometimes we think we read these stories of like these, these, you know, awesome moments in which they're healed, and we would expect them to be like so like perfect, right? If anybody was watching this miracle from afar, wouldn't you think Jesus was a mean person? They're like, I once saw Jesus rub mud in a blind guy's eyes. What kind of sicko would do that, right? He makes mud with spit, and he he rubs it in this guy's eyes. So sometimes, I guess, maybe a miracle comes in a way we don't expect it to, right? But he makes this mud, he puts it on this blind man's eyes, and he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. And Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. That's a miracle. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, nah, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one, which is hilarious. It's like they're talking right in front of him about him, right? They're like, ah, it's not Chuck. He's like, it's me. No, it's me. And they're like, nah, he just looks like him. Like, I'm the same guy. Like, he's like trying to interject, right? Like, no, that was me. Now I can see. They asked, well, who healed you? What happened? 
And he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud, spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Now let's stop there for a second, okay? After this in the story, Jesus went on. He was doing more work. He was serving more people. This man came away seeing and, and this caused, I mean, just an uproar in the community, right? I mean, just like small town America now, something happens, news spreads really quick, right? So everybody starts coming out wanting to see this guy who was blind, who, who now can see. And it gets to be such an uproar in the community that the religious leaders of the time, the Sanhedrin, the people who were in charge, man, they were, they were like a mixture between like a city council, but also like the, the spiritual leaders. They call together and they bring this guy in and almost put him on trial and say, what happened? Tell us about this because it's causing all this disturbance. And he explains, he says, you know, I was blind, Jesus came, put this mud on my eyes, I washed, now I can see. And they kept asking him because they just couldn't believe that this is how it actually happened, that this is what happened, because for them, God had to fit in a perfect little box. And, and this didn't fit inside of that perfect little box of what God does, so they couldn't possibly understand it. They kept asking him and questioning. They brought his parents in and questioned them, said, is this really your son? And how is he healed? And they said, ask him. He's the one who was healed. And, and finally, the guy kind of gets annoyed, and he basically says, listen, I told you it was Jesus. That's all I know. It, it, maybe if, if you want to know more about it, maybe you need to ask him. Maybe you need to follow and become one of his disciples. And at that, they just get furious. Because basically, Jesus was able to do something that they could never do. That the God who they served, their religious God, could never do. And this man says, maybe you need to follow him. And they just lose it on the guy. They say, you're a terrible sinner. You're a disgusting person. That's probably why God cursed you with blindness in the first place. You're just as sinful as you ever were. Get out of our sight. And they kick the guy out of the Sanhedrin. And this is where we pick up the story. Jesus comes back to find this guy because he hears about it. In John 9, 35 through 38, it says, When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now remember, Son of Man, that's the nickname for him, the Messiah, right? And the man answered, Well, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. Verse 37, You have seen him, Jesus said, and he's speaking to you. Think about those words real quick, how beautiful they are. You have seen him through these fresh eyes that he had just received sight through. And he's speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Jesus sees this guy who desperately needs healing. He has this affliction of not being able to see, but also deep down inside of his soul, this man has another problem. He doesn't know who the Son of Man is. He doesn't know who the Messiah is. He needs a Savior. But Jesus comes and he meets his physical need. He meets this need that he has in his eyes and he walks away. He doesn't immediately share the reality that he's the Messiah, that he's the one who he's been waiting for. He walks away and then he comes back a little later and he shares this message that he's the son of man. Here's the first reason why we believe in Hope Week and and what lines up so much with what God wants for the church. Jesus served people before he saved people. Jesus served people before he saved people. Jesus went around healing people and and, and fixing 
eyes that couldn't see and healing limbs that didn't work and and healing people of all these different sicknesses and didn't immediately then preach the gospel to them. He just met their needs first. Why? Because I believe that him serving them and meeting those needs, it gave them hope. You see, when we don't have hope, we have that hard exterior up. We have that shell of not really believing that anything good could come our way. So Jesus just walking up to this man and saying, did you know there's this Messiah who's here, the son of, son of man, and, and actually he's here to save you. Isn't that great news? I think this man might have said, yeah, right. Too good to be true. Every day of my life is the exact same. I get up, I stumble my way to this area where I can beg, I beg for change. Very few people give me anything. I stumble home and have just enough money to survive to the next day. My life is consistent pain. Yeah, there's nothing good coming my way. That story too good to be true. I don't believe it. But you see, when Jesus met his his need, he gave him hope. All of a sudden, he could see again. And all of a sudden, that hard exterior came down, and this man began to believe maybe something good really could happen. Maybe something great really could take place. And then Jesus comes back around and says, that ache that you have in your heart of wondering if there's something beyond this life, that ache you have in your soul of wondering if your life is worth more than just simply begging for for money just to be able to buy things and then die. I'm the one who satisfies that. And this man says, I see you and I believe in you. Jesus served people before he saved people. And it's because hope is the perfect primer, the perfect primer for the gospel in people's hearts. I don't know if you guys have ever worked on anything, but I've been a mechanic like my whole life, worked on engines and all that. And and anytime you're working with something that's that's a pump, you have something that needs to draw oil or water or something like that. If there's nothing in the pump, it won't pump. You can take a, put a pump into water, into oil, and you fire it up, and it just spins, and nothing will happen because the air inside of it just lets it spin, and, and it won't draw anything. And what you have to do is you have to pour some water or pour some oil or whatever it is that you're going to pump into that pump, and if there's just enough in it, it will catch what they call prime, and then it will draw what you are trying to pull. I believe that hope is a primer that's poured into people's hearts that breaks down the hard exterior and gives them the openness to think maybe something good could happen in my life. Maybe good news really could come my way. And then when they're met with this moment where this guy comes to this crossroad of being called a terrible sinner and you are cursed by God, Jesus meets him and says, in fact, you're not cursed by God. You're loved by God. I'm the God who loves you. And he believes Jesus served people before he saved people. And Jesus' life was a model for us to follow. That's one of the reasons why he came to earth amongst all the other. It was to set an example for us. So us, if we believe in Jesus, we're to follow the same example. We're to serve people before we save people. This means for us as a church, like one of the things we've always said since the beginning, when we go into the community to do something, we remind ourselves, we don't do this to see a spike in attendance this weekend. 
We don't go and serve the community. We don't go and do an event. We don't go and work with kids out in the community because we believe this weekend someone's going to come to church. We do this for the long haul. We do this because we're putting hope in people's hearts. We do this because we're breaking down one of the many walls that stands between their heart and the gospel. It's not about this weekend. It's about the long run. Paul even said this one time to the church in Galatia. The city of, of Galatia, where he had started a church, he wrote to them one time talking about how they should keep going, how they should continue on as a church. And listen what he says in Galatians 6 9 through 10. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. He says we should not get tired of doing good because basically what he was saying is is you can get burnt out because you do good, you do good, you do good, and you don't see any reaction to it. But he says don't give up, don't lose heart because listen how he says it, at just the right time we'll reap a harvest of blessing. He says you don't see it yet, but it's just like a farmer with seed. You put the seed in the ground and you keep watering it and keep watering it, keep watering it, and nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. And all of a sudden, one day, it shoots through. And he says you'll see the harvest someday, but don't stop doing what's right now. Hope Week is important because it's all about serving our community. We don't do events where we invite people to it. We don't do things where we try to do fundraisers during Hope Week. It's simple. We go and we just serve the community. This year we have projects that are downtown, cleaning up areas. We're going to change stuff in, in, in all three different cities, the Sal Peru and Oglesby this year. We're going to be doing projects to make the community better. We have some that are really, really specific that Alderman just picked out where it's going to be just about one family in a community. We have one where we're, we're going to be pouring concrete for a family that's disabled, and they're going to break the curb, but there needs to be a ramp, and we're going to pour that ramp for them. We have opportunities to serve a community where they look out and they see something good is happening. So reason one is Hope Week is all about serving. And reason two is just important, just as important. Hope Week is all about unity. It's all about unity. Jesus was passionate about unity. He was passionate about unity, about not being divided. Listen what he says one time. He's talking to his, to his disciples, and he's kind of praying to God, but he's also praying so they can kind of hear, that, hear him as well, like almost like it's like a two-way thing, like I'm praying to God, but listen in on this guy so you can learn from it. Listen what he says in John 17, 20 through 23. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, basically the guys who are sitting there with him, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Pause. Who is that? Us. He says, I'm not just praying for these 12 disciples, these guys who are following me now. I'm praying for all who will ever believe in me because of their message. Friends, that's you and me. So if there's a prayer in the Bible for you from Jesus, don't you think this is important? If somewhere in the Bible there is a prayer that had your name on it, wouldn't you want to read it? This is it, okay? This is the one where Jesus prayed for us as a church. What's his prayer? Let's continue on. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. 
I've given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. He says, if I can pray one prayer for those who will come after these 12, for those 2,000 years later sitting in a church in central Illinois, I pray that they would be one. I pray that they would not divide over petty issues. I pray that they would not fight against each other, but instead they would fight together. I pray for, for unity. And did you see what he said? He said, this unity is so powerful, not just because it will keep the church together, not just because it's about a church being on the same, the same page, but he says, listen, how he finishes it. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. He says, this unity, first and foremost, it's about you, but second, it's not about you. He says that unity is so powerful that it preaches this message to the world around you and they realize that I'm real. When they see how unified you are, they realize there's something so important that's drawing you together. What is it? It's Jesus. Unity is vital to the church. Jesus was passionate about unity. We cannot fight against each other. We must fight together. In fact, there was a time where Jesus was out preaching, teaching, healing. It was funny because one of the disciples runs back to Jesus basically to get like an attaboy. You know, like they were really, if you ever read the Bible, it's hilarious because they just so wanted Jesus to like be impressed by them. And he never was because he's the son of God, obviously. But they always came back trying to kind of impress Jesus, right? And listen to this one. It's so good. John runs back and says, John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. Oh, it's great. And it's so timely for what we experience in the church. Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who's not against you is for you. I think it's great. They run back and they say, we saw this guy and he was, he's casting out demons, but he was using your name. And we said, hey, you're not one of us. Stop doing that. Man. That could be the reality in the church right now. We disagree on some of the details, so we complain about how somebody gets saved. Let's just celebrate somebody got saved, huh? Complain about where they got saved, what church they got saved in. Let's just celebrate they got saved, right? (laughs) Friends, other churches are not our competition. They are our companions on this journey. Jesus said it. He says, even if they don't agree the same stuff, they're not even part of our group. If they're not against us, they're with us. We're on the same track. We're fighting the same thing. And this unity is so vitally important. Here's my big point. This is the second reason why Hope Week is so important. The church was meant to work with each other, not against each other. The church, the global church... The citywide church was meant to work with each other, not against each other. And friends, when we do this, it preaches such a great message to the world around us. 
There are a ton of different beliefs on a ton of different things. Every single church has a different thought on this, and a different thought on this, and a different belief on this, and a different theology on this, and different doctrine on this. And then once we get past that, then it comes to how we actually practice those things. And we have a million different beliefs on how we do this, and how we should do this, and the tone of how we do this, and when we do this, and how often we do this. But when we come together and we, we lay all that stuff aside and we, we pinpoint the one thing that draws us together, Jesus, it stands out for the world to see. When churches work together, when they refuse to be divided over all the little details, what it does is the whole world around looks at them and says, look at all those churches working together. Why would they all help each other? What is it that brings those people from so many different backgrounds, from so many different beliefs together where they would all help each other out and work together? What is it? Jesus. When we work together with other churches, we finally swing the spotlight off of all of the things that separate us and onto the one thing that unifies us. And it becomes clear. And it becomes bright for the world to see. Paul mentions this one time, writing another church that he had planted, a church in Ephesus. He writes this this church, and listen to me, this this is perfectly appropriate for what we're talking about, because when I say the church of Ephesus, it's like saying the church of LaSalle, Peru. He planted a group of believers in a city, and there were multiple little pockets of believers, and they would come together and they would celebrate, but he was writing to an entire city worth of churches. This letter would have gone out and got passed through the different small groups and it would have got shared. And he's writing basically a city worth of churches and saying, this is my prayer for you. Listen what he says in Ephesians 4, 2 through 6. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. Friends, if we're to just do some basic scriptural analysis here, he finishes this phrase by saying there is One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. How many churches are there? One. There's one. He says, there's only one God. You can't divide him and compartmentalize him into a whole bunch of different churches and a whole bunch of different nominations. There's only one church. How God is concerned when he looks down at us, he doesn't see all these different divisions and all these different separations. He sees one church. All of those who truly believe in his son, Jesus. Let me tell you, when we get to heaven, we just finished this series about you know, life after death and talking about it, right? When we get to heaven, there isn't going to be just a community for all the Baptists in one corner and a community for all the Catholics in another corner, community for all the Methodists and then for all of us non-denominationals over here because you know, keep them separate, right? No, there's one heaven, there's one church. We are all going to spend eternity together as believers. There's one. 
He says, do whatever you can to overlook the offenses. Do whatever you can to love through the things that they might say against you. Do whatever you can to stay united. It's important that you stay together. Friends, we we think Hope Week is so important because it's about unity. It's about churches working together side by side. Not just one church taking credit, but all of us sharing it and working together and inviting people of all different beliefs, of all different churches to come together because we agree on this one great thing that people need Jesus and that far exceeds all of the things that would separate us. Friends, in our community, our church, just for you, if you say you're part of X Church, I'm telling you, Our church refuses to talk bad about other churches. We refuse to talk bad about other churches. People will sometimes want to talk to me about something, and I just a lot of times just kind of go blank. I refuse to. Because we believe that unity is so, so important. Listen to me, friends. If you're part of Acts, it's either happened or it will happen really, really soon. You will meet somebody who will just spew lies and hatred about our church to you. There are churches in our community that love us and respect us. There are churches in our community that can't stand us. They can't stand us. They hate us. They preach against us. Our response to them is not dependent on their love for us. Our love for them is not dependent on whether or not they love and respect us. We don't just love and respect the churches who like us and back We love and respect all of the churches because we believe unity is more important. We believe that the Holy Spirit moves through churches that are about unity. So don't you ever feel like you have to defend X church or like you have to stand up or you have to knock down their church and try to fight back. Don't even worry about it. Because we believe the Holy Spirit rewards unity. And if they're preaching disunity, the Holy Spirit will not move in that church. And they'll realize their ways and they'll turn from it. But we speak unity and we believe the Holy Spirit will pour into this church and will do miraculous things through it because we refuse to talk bad about others who are in the same church with us. As a church, we're stepping into Hope Week. And like I said, the reason why I wanted to talk to you about it is because it starts June 12th, one month from now. June 12th through 18th, we are going to be doing projects in and around our community every single day, every morning, every afternoon, every night throughout that entire week. There will be something going on to be part of. But what does this mean for you? Jesus served people before he saved people. The church was meant to work together was meant to work with each other, not against each other. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. You are the church. You are the one who makes this happen. It's not enough for me to just talk about it or say, oh yeah, Zach's church, we're going to do this. What I'm saying is it's about you. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. You are to serve people before you save people. You are the church. You are to work together, to to work with each other, not against each other. What it means is that I'm going to challenge every single one of you. I'm going to issue a challenge this morning. We're a month out. My challenge is, unless you are physically incapable, 
I challenge every single one of you to sign up and be at least one project. Now I know, I'm busy, I'm this. Okay, no, no, stop, stop. There are seven days of projects and it is a month away. Barring some sort of crazy circumstance, you can change something in your schedule to be at one project to be part of this. You might have to change something, you might have to rearrange something, you might have to do something so you can make room. But to come and be part of one thing and say, I want to at least show up and be part of this because this is something important for our community. I want to give hope to our community. And second, I challenge you even farther than that. My challenge is for every one of you to serve in at least one project. My other challenge is this. For many of you, I challenge you to serve radically during this week. I challenge you to take one week out of your summer and devote it to this community and those who are lost. To devote a week and find whatever you have to do to change your schedule, to change your plans in the evening, to shift stuff around, to be part of as many projects as you can and you see how many hours of service you can rack up in one week. It is not too radical to go in and ask for a day off from your boss and take a vacation day to come and serve our community. It is not too radical to move stuff around so that you can be a part of this. I know already I've heard two different people who already asked for the whole week off and said, I'm going to serve until I can't serve anymore that week. Because I believe this is a great way that we can preach hope to our community. My challenge is for many of you to radically serve during this week. So today, we're going to dismiss in just a few minutes. Back at guest services, there's sign-ups. The next coming weeks, there's sign-ups. I want you to go back and I want you to put your name down. Put your contact info down. Put your t-shirt size down. Because we're giving you one of these if you're going to show up. You've got to show up pressed and dressed, same color, right? It's important. We're going to mac you out so when you show up, you look good. And at the end of it, what's great is you can see who actually did some work and who didn't. There's paint on it. So every project, you get some war wounds, and it's terrific because it shows I was there. Clean Hope Week shirt is embarrassing. (laughs) I challenge you to serve. I challenge you to be like Jesus. I challenge you to love this community. Now, some people will say, listen, Cameron, I'm not from right around LaSalle, Peru. I challenge you to serve. Some people will say, listen, Cameron, I'm not even a Christian yet don't believe in Jesus. I'm just here checking this out because your church always says, you know, you're welcome people just to come in and just check this out. I challenge you to serve as well. So I'm not even a Christian yet. I challenge you to serve and see if God doesn't do something in your heart in those days. I challenge you, say, I don't even believe in Jesus. I challenge you to come and to serve and see if God doesn't do something for you. See if he doesn't reveal something to you. Friends, just just to finish, let me just do this. Just, just imagine with me for a second, okay? What would happen if we got serious about this? This is year two. Already this year, we have five churches for sure that are signed up and others that are thinking about being part of it. It's already growing. There's other churches that have already talked to me and they realize they missed out last year. They want to be a part of this. What happens if we lay a foundation of Christians serving our community every summer? What happens if in LaSalle, Peru, there's something different because this community knows every year it's weird, all those Christians pour out of their churches and they make the community a better place. I don't know if I agree with what they believe. I don't know if I agree with everything they say and everything they teach. But man, I can't complain about how much they put into this community. 
I mean, we really are better off for having those churches here in our community, aren't we? What would happen if it was just part of our culture because we got so intentional about it that we served each year? What would happen if we do this for 5 or 10 or 15 years? What if kids grew up through this and they just realized those Christians, they're always the people who care about our community the most? Friends, we could put hope in people's hearts like never before. This consistent action of reaching into community could be the difference between somebody putting up that hard exterior and someone having hope and thinking maybe something good could really happen. Maybe something could happen. Would you serve with me? Would you sweat with me? Would you paint with me? Would you work with me? Would you join me in that week, June 12th through 18th, and would you put your hands and your feet and your energy behind this to give hope to our community. Let me pray with you. God, I thank you so much just for this morning. And I thank you, God, that you have a a group of people here that I believe you're working on their heart right now. A group of people that you are challenging to serve, just like you did, Jesus. I pray that you would just nudge all of us forward, God. So many of us might think, well, this and this and this, and and we can think of a thousand reasons why not to. I pray, God, that you would illuminate the one reason to do it. I pray that you would illuminate the reason that, that we have an opportunity to give hope and it would overwhelm all those other excuses. Jesus, I pray that you would use us to bring hope to our community. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.